Africa Business Report on The Money Show. Victor Homoswano with the Africa Business Report. We're being flooded. It's hard to believe that yeah. there is anywhere in the world that is not sodden and wet and miserable. Although flying uh, from the Western Cape this morning, um, there was hardly any cloud until you got to the Vaal River. And then we were just, uh, you know, fog and mist and rain and flights delayed and all yeah. sorts of stuff. It's hard to believe that north of us, it feels like the Sahara Desert is expanding exactly. south. Exactly. And that's the problem. That's where you can see this climate change because that's the area that never has rain problems. Once you are beyond Zimbabwe, you don't have drought issues. The climate there from a rainfall point of view, it's always those countries are higher. But the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is projecting that because of the hot and dry, whatever climate blowing over the sub-Saharan Africa, agricultural yields could decrease by 50% by 2050. That's a crisis, Bruce, because if you think about how big agriculture is on the continent, both from a subsistence point of view to all kinds of things, Ghana and Ivory Coast, this neighbor, account for a huge percentage of the world cocoa production. And that's only one example. The DRC, Uganda, Kenya, all those countries that could suffer, see their production yields falling by 50%. It's something that, that we should be worried about. But of course, then you will think maybe it's temporary, but... That's where you start seeing that there's some kind of climate change because we wouldn't be having the rainfall figures if up north there there's less. It would normally mm. be they would be having much more than we are. But it, this is a much more of a trend that's threatening to be sustained and by 2050 drop the agricultural yield. That's over 70% of the workforce on the continent. So you can't have a change like that yeah. without a real crisis falling because what that means is corn, wheat, rice and soybeans, some of the stable foods on the continent – could be more expensive. Now imagine when you have food insecurity and then you have global prices going higher and higher. Unless, of course, there is a structural fundamental change in the economy and the per capita income on the continent, it could be a real crisis of of, of mm. proportions that are never seen before. Um, did I understand the story right that Nigeria looks like it's is part privatizing yeah. its power grid? Yeah. Yes, part privatizing in the sense that the government would retain 20% of its shareholding in the companies. It's something that started quite a while ago. Again, if if one thing is the undoing of Nigeria, Bruce, it's the power supply, the security of power supply. This is a country that could be the largest economy, if not already the largest economy on the continent. You cannot have instability in power supply. So the Bureau of Public Enterprises, the, the, the director thereof, talking about about 10 power plants that are going to be privatized, as I say, except for the 20% that will be retained. But in the end... I am very excited when I see a country like Nigeria saying more than five billion will be generated, but it's from the sale of these integrated power plants and it's going to make the security of power supply much more consistent. It's exciting. But you must pay credit, pay tribute to people like Tony Elumelu, a former banker who has now gone into business. I think the company is called Earth Holdings. Mm-hmm. He's investing a whole lot of money in this project. And as a Nigerian, I believe he deserves credit because this is part of the work, some of the work that he has he would have been doing to lobby government to make the security of power supply a much more a priority. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's on the one side of it, of the Nigerian economy, of course. Nigeria then also, um, the IMF is really worried about yeah. oil theft. Now, why is yeah. the IMF yeah. worried about oil theft in Nigeria? Why would you be not worried? Again, look at it in context. Nigeria is a major oil producer. It is going to be the largest economy on the African continent. Oil theft, Bruce, is not on the scale you and I are thinking. It's billions of dollars that are Mm. lost every year. You can't have an economy that has Boko Haram's problems, having money disappearing in the form of 
oil theft that cannot be accounted for. It's like the Marange Diamond story. Do you know for sure how much money is generated and the money that is not accounted for in that is coming from oil theft? What is it financing? In other words, if you're going to be the largest economy on the continent, you better have some control in this because it is affecting a lot of investors, international investors that might start looking at Nigeria differently if they knew that there is some control of that. It's a big, big problem and it's all about resource nationalism. If you like, some of the Nigerian people feeling they are not getting as much out of the oil mining drilling that has been happening there for over 50 years, but they are going about it the wrong way from the viewpoint of globalization and order that makes sure that when you invest in a country, you're not going to have your revenue disappearing because some liters and barrels and barrels of oil are disappearing and you don't know where they are going to. Yeah, and that's uh, a big concern for them, of course. Namibia. Now, this is interesting because I'm loving the fact that Namibia seems to be getting so much right. And they're really moving up in terms of their attractiveness rating as a mining investment destination. So so says the Canadian-based research organization, Fraser Institute. I think last year there was a debate, Bruce. I think RMB had generated another report that had not painted them in the most positive light. Fraser Institute, on the other hand, says... 45th they were in ninetieth in, in, in 2012 and they are now 30th. So they moved 15 places in one year. This is out of 96 countries that are being compared. Who are they asking? 4,100 4, exploration and mining related companies that were asked about how attractive they are finding Namibia. That makes it the second most favorable investment for mining and exploration in the, on the continent. The first one being Botswana, of course. So it tells you something about this small country. Two million people, huge upside potential when it comes to attracting investment. And once you start getting global organizations declaring you a favorable investment destination, mm. you're headed in the right direction. Does some of it rub off, I wonder. Um, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> we talk about favorable investment destinations. Um, I, yeah. I don't know if you've seen pictures of Ballyclare Avenue in, uh, in Bryanston where the bridges washed away. Aki yeah. Anastasio <laughs> climbed into the cavity that was left. He disappeared, yeah. but tragically he emerged yeah. again. Um, and Ballyclare Avenue is washed away. We've seen huge potholes all over our roads in Joburg. And here's a South African group of investors. Yeah. Going off to Harare to fix potholes there. Exactly. Again, 400 million rand joint venture. If, if the 30-year concession that neo-capital of South Africa is getting delivers, they're going to be paying, I, I don't know, 15 or so million per year. Over the 30 years, they'll probably, they reckon, make about $50 million. It, that's the return. 4,000 kilometers of tar roads in, in Harare. As a capital, again, Zimbabwe is very central to Sadek Bruce. It shares a border with a whole lot of other countries. And with the economic growth happening, even with the political uncertainty, I think that's a good deal. And you remember when we had the guy from Zimbabwe who had invested and come back. And I said that it doesn't mean it's all lost in Zimbabwe. It's a matter of... Are you talking about Kura? Yes, yes. Kura. If you find the right investment, you find the right partnerships, it's encouraging. Again, you need the the cross-border collaborations because what it does, it forces Zimbabwe eventually to account to people beyond just its own borders. And the minute you have that, you have positive globalization because then you are able to have all these investors able to keep the country on track. And we need that. We need investors who can keep politicians on track because some of the politicians have proven they can't do it themselves. Okay, and then one final one. What happens if you don't install solar in yeah. Kenya? You can just bother, yeah, bother. And you, in, you are spending more than 100 liters of hot water a day. You risk jail terms if you are a contractor and a property developer who does that. So it's almost ensuring that you fit solar panels and whatever, the house is able to receive electricity because if you don't, there are threats that they might not even be receiving electricity from the national grid. So 
I don't know. It's the regulations have been there. It's just that they have been ignored by the contractors. I think Kenya figured out that if we don't go solar and make sure that every house is wired, we're going to be finding what facing what we're facing in South Africa, where the cost of conversion is prohibiting the real conversion at the level that it could happen. So I think Kenya has, has, has found a better way to do this. Make sure before you build, get solar panels fitted in so that your heating system at least doesn't put pressure on the national grid. There we go, Victor Homoswana with the Africa Business Report.